Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, October 8th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the new Academy Museum in Los Angeles. My name is Ben Pearson. I am a senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Serretta. Hey, everybody. <laughs> yeah, Peter, you don't really have a, uh, a go-to yeah. intro line. Yeah, I got to come up with one. Uh, <laughs> I'm not quick enough. Okay. okay. Well, uh, yeah, let's get into it. So you had a chance to visit the Academy Museum of Motion Pictures, which has been in development for, I want to say, 15 years at this point. <laughs> it's been a long, long time um, that the Academy, which is the organization that hands out the Oscars every year, uh, they have been wanting to create a museum in the in the heart of the, the film world, which is, of course, in Hollywood, in, in Los Angeles. And they have finally done this. And now it's open uh, to the public. And you had a chance to visit this. I was looking forward to attending the opening of this event when I still lived in L.A., but they just kept delaying it longer and longer. And then, of course, COVID ended up delaying it, uh, I think, about a year beyond where they're, um, I guess, most recently looking to uh, sort of open the doors here. 
So yeah, this whole episode is just going to be like me grilling you about your experience of going to this thing. So just like general um, reaction. Well, actually, oh, be, yeah. be, before we give that, I just want to say like if anybody ever comes to Hollywood, I think people expected there to be something like this mm, here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like you come to Hollywood, you can go to on like some studio tours. You know, there's a WB studio tour I think is good. Uh, Universal, you know, has a theme park that has a, a tram tour. You actually used to be a tour guide at uh, Paramount. I did, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. great. I love that job. Um, but I guess there's like a movie museum over uh, by Hollywood and Highland, like the in the old Max Factor building. I've never been in that. I haven't either. It always janky. looked a little too janky to me, like too low rent, really cheap. I think actually, um, I, I did. Now I'm remembering there. I was in there very briefly. There was an after party there for uh, a screening of The Rocketeer. After that movie's 20th anniversary, they they um, they held a screening at the El Capitan Theater, which is owned by Disney. And that's like essentially across the street from that uh, Hollywood museum that you're talking about. And they had like the shoes from The Wizard of Oz, like Dorothy's red ruby slippers and like <laughs> the original Christopher, Christopher Reeve uh, Superman costume. But like it all felt a little dusty and old and kind of like the saddest version of uh, of a movie memorabilia museum. So I imagine this is like, you know, sleek and new and and a much, much different thing. So tell me about this Academy Museum. Yes. Um, so it, it's located in like the museum district of Los Angeles, so like right next to LACMA, if you know where that is. It's right across the street from the Peter Smith, Peterson Automotive Museum, which is spectacular. Um, and like you said, it's this, they've been building this for a long time. And it, it did some press openings a couple weeks back. I, I actually paid to go there. And right now, if you go there, you should know that you need to bring a vaccine card they might also do COVID tests, recent COVID tests. I don't know about that. I actually did not look because I'm vaccinated, so I showed them my my uh, my vac my fully vaccinated card, and uh, you have to wear masks at all times indoors. So uh, th- this complex is split into a bunch of bunch of different levels, each filled with different various aspects of movie making you know this is by the academy the people that bring you the oscars every year and uh, the organization that uh, many of the people that are making movies are a part of so they're trying to cover a very wide range of things it's not just like you go in there and there's some movie props mm. you know they're trying to do screenwriter they're, they're trying to do costuming they're trying to do animation they're trying to do but in you know they're also celebrating the academy awards they and let's be fair the academy awards i i, I know you you're kind of a fan of the academy awards would that be fair to say i guess so yeah i'm kind of a fan i think i think that's where i sit i'm i am an interested observer sometimes i like the ceremonies more than others i think i'm just more I'm more um, curious about like the historical level of like what the Academy Awards represent rather than, um, you know, whether they get it right every year. Um, So I I look at it more from like a a macro perspective than a micro one, I think. Yeah. So but the interesting thing is like the Academy often awards films that don't go down in history as being the most memorable movie that year. Right. Like. What the year uh, Citizen Kane came out didn't? Uh, How green is my valley? One or something. <laughs> um, so uh, that's it. It's a very uh, eclectic uh, 
collection of things and them trying to do everything. And at the same time, by doing everything, not actually being able to do everything. Mm. Um, so that is probably it's, it's, it's weakness. Like there's some, some areas, like there's like this costume exhibit that had costumes from Midsommar had, uh, uh the uh, Lupita's costume from the movie us had, um, Elton John's costume from rocket man or, or Edgerton. Sorry. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and you knew what I meant. Um, yeah. so it was like, you're, you have this big room and it's cool. Like seeing that costume from Midsommar, the, the, uh, the giant like dress made out of flowers at the end. Yes. Uh, turns out they weren't real flowers. No. <laughs> of, of course, uh, like <laughs> everything in Hollywood. Uh, it was cool to see that, but it's like that dress is taking up space and there's, it's, there's not much space in Los, Los Angeles and California. Like, you know, space is a premium and, and that's taking up space that could be going to, something that could be you know something from one of the greatest films of all time mm, i see yeah does that so make you sense? think there might be like too much of a uh focus at least in these early days of the museum's opening on more modern stuff instead of like spreading it more throughout the entirety of film history i, I mean they they try ben they try i i you know it, it sounds like i'm coming off very negative i, I want to say you know you asked me brief reaction my brief reaction is yes, it is a, a very wide. They're trying to cover like almost too much, and it is very eclectic. The the collection, but that said, the collection is incredible. The museum is you know kind of built from the ground up, and it is very like one of the most like modern and technologically impressive museums I've ever been to. Just in the way that everything's presented. There's there's rooms that you, I guess that's gonna everything I'm bringing up sounds like a criticism, but uh, there, there's this like uh, section of the stories of cinema. This is a three four ex- exhibition that's in there, and it, it, one one of the on the first floor it's part of like a, I think it's the, a room sponsored by Steven Spielberg. He must have paid a lot of money, um, and uh, it's a room that literally has screens like floating in air. Uh, like probably like five or six screens and it's just projecting moments from throughout cinema history. And I, the whole time I, I, I it's cool. It's cool walking through there and it, it, it's so impressive how it's displayed. And I didn't get to watch all the stuff on the screens. Yeah, I'm sure it's uh, well edited and a uh, really emotionally encompassing look at cinema's history. But at the same time, and it's cool that we're getting like an art gallery of sorts of cinema. Do you know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. it's it's treating these moving images like you would treat works of art. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, they could have fit. So, like, you know, I could watch these movies at home. I wish they had used this space to actually, you know, have props and costumes mm, and mm. pages from scripts uh that said there is a lot of that so it, it is worth my, my big reaction it's 25 dollars. definitely worth going that that price is uh, a bargain in in my mind is it one of those things where you think you could spend all day there does it feel like you know how long were you there approximately and then what did you, how much did you feel like you got out of the experience of going I got there at 11 a.m. and to be fair, I was uh, we were filming our experience for Ordinary Adventures. That video will be out, I think, maybe Monday of next week. So look forward to that if you want to see what I'm talking about. Um, so I, I say that because I 
when oh, you guys stay longer because you're filming stuff. Yeah, so it takes long. Anytime you're filming anything, it takes longer. But I was there from 11 a.m. to like 5 p.m. So I was there for a long time. That's what. So did you, did you see everything that you wanted to see, or or like everything that was there? Did you have a chance to to go through like into every single room? Yes, went into okay. every room. It wasn't that crowded. I'm sure they're. Uh, oh, they're also limiting. Like when you buy tickets, you actually select a certain time. Gotcha. Um, so I think they're pulsing how many people are in there at, mm-hmm. at one time. You, you aren't limited to like you know you have to be in here from this time to this time. It's just you can only show up at that time. Right. Um, but uh, I think. There's my two favorite rooms or my uh, two favorite exhibitions of this. First off, I wasn't expecting to be as blown away as I was from what was it called? Uh, It's it's the animation room, but I think it was called like creating imaginary worlds because Mm. they kind of make it sound, um, you know, I don't know. Uh, more important than it is, I guess. Um, or I'm not saying it isn't important, but it's just like, it's funny that everything has like this grand, like it it could just be like animation, you know, or whatever. Yeah. But it's Um, the Academy. So they got to go big. Yeah. And this room is just filled with, uh, hand-drawn cell animation throughout, uh, movie history from like Looney Tunes stuff to Disney to Pixar. You have like some maquettes from Pixar that are actually like the real maquettes and not just like reproductions. Um, I think the most impressive thing I saw in there was this desk. It's um, a desk uh, from one of the nine old men. So if you know Disney, uh, Walt Disney, he had uh, this group of animators called the nine old men. Uh, Frank Thomas was one of the leaders of that. And it was Frank Thomas's desk. And uh, Walt Disney actually had Frank Thomas consult with this um, uh not architect, uh, builder, uh, <laughs> names escape to actually create what is known now, I guess, or what was known because there isn't hand drawn animation anymore as the animator's desk. And you've probably seen this in like behind the scenes footage and stuff like that. It's like one of those desks with like uh, a surface that goes like at an almost 90 degree angle or something like that. And they're like animating or drawing on the, uh, on the cells on it. Oh, like a drafting table kind of yeah, thing. Almost like a drafting table. Um, but this is the desk that, um, the first desk that was created, uh, the modern animators desk, uh, was created, uh, uh, for Frank Thomas and became, you know, all the desks at Disney animation were this desk and it's, you know, the desk that, all the early Disney classics like Snow White and stuff were, you know, at, at some point like made on this desk. And it's it's now in uh, Pete Doctor's collection. Pete Doctor is, you know, one of the people running Pixar right now. He's uh, director of Up, uh, Monsters, Inc. Soul? Was Soul yeah, him? Uh, yeah, I think that's right. So he yeah. owns it and he's like loaning it to the museum or something, yeah, right? Okay. Yeah, so it's from his collection. It, it was just like impressive to see. And it also next to that was uh, cool that um, Frank Thomas, along with Ollie Johnston, wrote this book in like the early 80s called The Illusion of Life. And it's about the Disney animation process. And it's kind of like the Bible. It's a thing that's like inspired many, many uh, people to get into animation and it's hmm. something that uh pete doctor found when he was in high school and he wrote a letter to um frank thomas and there it's cool they have this letter they have pete doctor's letter and they have the letter from frank thomas back to a high school aged pete doctor 
Oh, cool. Yeah. So it, it, it's pretty cool. Um, there, there, there's a lot to see in there. The, the other exhibit that I um, was really taken by, actually, I'm not even sure the name of the exhibit, but it's like this room that's filled with uh, costumes, animatronics, uh, props, all from like sci-fi movies. Mm. So, you know, has an R2-D2 and C-3PO that were used in the original trilogy. It has a phone booth from Blade Runner. It has an alien I thought head. you were going to say a phone booth from the movie Phone Booth. Uh, from the movie <laughs> Phone Booth, yeah. Uh, has an animatronic E.T., um, a spaceship from 2001. Like it's all kind of this. Does, is that does any of the animatronic stuff actually move, or is it just like um, static on display? Oh, it, it is all just static. I'm, I'm okay. guessing you wouldn't want to have it move because then the wear and tear. Yeah, get too damaged. Yeah, but everything is just so artfully presented, and it really feels like so uh, modern and regal, and like just like it. It really makes films feel like an important <laughs> art form mm-hmm. um and it, almost like th- there's like this whole modern design to everything where like underneath something there's like a small card that says some information about it and gives you like some kind of history but it's almost like so minimal that you sometimes mi- like there's some stuff that you're not allowed to take photos of uh but like there's literally really? this this small like a small like a uh, photo symbol with like a you know the Ghostbusters X thing mm-hmm. there, but it's like so small that you wouldn't even see it. Like so, I I think they were going for minimalism and modernism, and I wish they had like more like information. Sometimes it's like yeah. so minimal, if that makes sense. So, what's an example of something that you weren't allowed to take a picture of? Um, okay, so on the top floor there is a whole exhibition dedicated to Miyazaki. The guy that's behind mm. Studio Ghibli, um, you know the anime movies. Uh, it, it is a retrospective of the work that he's created. Him and Studio Ghibli have created in that entire exhibit. Actually, you cannot uh, take a photo or a video of anything, uh, which is a shame because it's all so beautiful. Like seeing these like hand painted uh, background cells and. It, it, it's so beautiful, but I also understand that like he has um, Studio Ghibli Museum in Japan, and I don't think you're allowed to even. <laughs> I, I I've been for years planning a trip to Japan. I want to go to the Studio Ghibli Museum, but the, the one thing that makes me nervous is like they don't allow photos or video there, I, mm-hmm. which is fine. I'm I'm totally fine, but the the thing is, all the plaques and stuff there are like in Japanese, so I'd like to be able to use my phone to like translate and understand oh, right. what's going on. And they don't even allow that because they don't because people are idiots and they try to take photos <laughs> of stuff. Yeah. So um, so I I think it was the film um. The filmmaker requested no photos. There was um, some stuff in the animation section that was from Tim Burton's uh, personal archive of, of uh, Frank and Weenie and uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, and that also Tim Burton did not want photos. So, gotcha. some, yeah. So it's a lot. Of, I would say ninety percent of the stuff you can take photos, you can look at. It's amazing. One of the things uh, that I was incredibly impressed by is there's this uh, section called Backdrop and Invisible Art. And it's kind of going into not green screens and blue screens, but matte paintings. Actually, not even matte paintings. I'm not even sure what you would describe. It's actually a backdrop. So back in the old days of cinema, they would actually paint these huge, sometimes, you know, 
stories tall backdrops that looked like a cityscape or whatever yeah. and it would just be outside a window mm-hmm. so on display, i think they call them scrims i think that's scrims. another name that people might know them as it's like um they use them a lot in sitcoms now like or or still um where like if you look out i don't know jerry seinfeld's window or something you'll see or frazier's window you'll see like the seattle skyline but they actually shot it in a soundstage in LA, like that kind of thing where, where they don't yeah, have to yeah. do the work to like digitally uh, replace it or whatever, because it was in that show was filmed in the nineties or the eighties or whatever, you know what I mean? Like that yeah. kind of thing. So. But I'm sure like those are like just a photo blown up back in, in the day. It was hand painted is like a hand painted creation in, in one of the rooms here. They have one from North by Northwest, uh, the Hitchcock movie that it was uh, Mount Rushmore. And it's, mm-hmm. It's outside the window in a scene where they're like eating at a restaurant, but it it's this, it's breathtaking. It, like you walk into this room and it, I think it's like probably three story, two or three stories tall is how big it is. Like it, wow. it, it, you can't even get a photo with it because when, if you try to get <laughs> you in the photo in the top of it, you look like an ant. It, it's just so impressive. That's awesome. So I, I remember writing up an article about like the, uh, sort of previewing this experience. I got to do like a little virtual tour of it. And um, one of the areas that they talked about in that tour was this uh, this section that was designed by Ben Burt, who is a, a sound designer, the Oscar-winning sound designer of movies like Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark and tons of, like every movie from your childhood that you love, Ben Burt probably you know had a hand in creating the sound for it. So they talked a little bit about uh, this area, but they didn't show me any visuals of what it looked like. So they described it as, a dynamic 320 degree sound experience. Did you get a chance to experience that? What was that? I'm not sure which one this is. I'm guessing it was like adjacent to the sci-fi area with all those uh, props that I was talking about. There's this like 300, almost 360 degree like screen that you kind of walk into and they're showing moments from sci-fi they're connecting moments from different sci-fi movies like aliens first make contact and you see it from the perspective of different movies and it's kind of all playing out around Mm. you i'm guessing it's that there's also another there's a bunch of rooms where you can experience stuff like there's a room that's about sound design where when i was in there watching it they were talking about the sound design of raiders of the lost ark and how they're showing like the scene in the beginning of him getting the idol and showing the takes without, you know, with the sound that they actually recorded on set, mm-hmm. how they did the ADR, like doing all the process. And you're in this room. It's, it's, it's like it has very proper sound proofing and stuff like that. And it, it probably, probably Dolby at most. Like it, it's the best sounding room ever. Um, but it, it's stuff that we've kind of seen before. It's not like, I guess it's probably more informed like general audiences. Nothing yeah. that like blew me away, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If, if people haven't seen behind the scenes stuff of like how fully artists work, that seems like a good uh, introduction kind of thing. So. Yeah. And then there's like also other weird things. Like there's one room here that is the collection of Spike Lee. And it's not like Spike Lee collects movie props, right? It's just like a room that is dedicated to his collection from framed movie posters that he probably had in his office. Like there's one of Jurassic Park and it's signed by Steven Spielberg. It says Roar to Spike, (laughs) Steven Spielberg. Um, 
there's um you know Michael Jordan thing signed by Jordan. There's Shepard Fairey's Obama poster signed by Obama. There's like um so it's like not even just movies, but it does have stuff from his movies. It has some of his clapboards, some of his the props that he's kept. Um, I remember just, writing about this because there was a quote um, from Spike Lee where he was giving this uh, this little like video intro to what this section of the museum would be. And he said, my collection is a sneak peek into my loves, my influences, and it's for the whole world to see. So it sounds like it's just more like almost creating or recreating like his office space or like, you know, things that inspire him um, and, and shape his personality. So it's like, it's not necessarily showing you yeah, props from do the right thing or whatever. It's sort of giving you an idea about like who he is as a person and like what kind of things shape and inform the ideas that he goes on to put in his movies maybe. Yeah, it almost feels like you're getting to step inside his home or his office space and see like the things that, that interest him, his collection. But uh, it, it's such a weird idea. I mean, I like it. I, I, I would love to see the same. I'd love them to eventually do that with like other filmmakers. Like I'd love to see like, you know, what is Chris, uh, Chris Nolan version of that or a Steven Spielberg version of that. Yeah. It sounds like that's what they're going to do. The, the article that I wrote said there's going to be a series of galleries called the art of movie making, which kick off with director's inspiration, a space co-curated with the directors themselves. And first up is a collaboration with Spike Lee. So uh, yeah, I wonder who else they might have sort of uh, on deck for that kind of thing. Yeah, and um, uh, I don't know. The the place is huge. The, they have these like concrete columns all throughout this. Uh, it's like a cavernous, almost like a warehouse kind of feeling. Like the ceilings are taut, high. You know, the floor is concrete, and these concrete columns each have uh, names on them. And the names are of people that have donated over a million dollars. So you, I'm always looking at the columns and like, there's like, you know, oh, Jason Blum and his wife. And uh, this one is uh, Cher. And, you know, this one, yeah. Uh, but it's it's also interesting because it's so minimal that it's like this a gray looking silver plaque of a name on a concrete block. So if you didn't even know about it, you wouldn't even notice it. Mm-hmm. It kind of blends into the background. So even like the building itself kind of has a story to it, which is interesting. Yeah. And you mentioned before we started talking that they have this, this giant like state of the art theater there, but you didn't get a chance to see anything in there. Unfortunately I did not. Uh, I got to look into becoming a member here and I, I'm not sure if what level of members you actually get screenings, but I know you can actually, uh, actually just buy tickets the other day they were doing the bride of frankenstein i would have loved to have seen that right now they're doing uh a retrospective of studio ghibli and all the the movies that uh, miyazaki's been a part of and i think they're doing it non-dubbed in that big screening room it's it's supposedly the the best screening room in the world like the most highly technological and best sounding best looking there there is not a screening room in a rich person's house or you know in a studio back lot that is better than the screening room at this time is what they're saying that's pretty cool so um and it's in this massive structure if you've ever I'm, i'm sure when you were here they were still building it. They were, Oh yeah. <laughs> it's like this almost like a sphere sphere sphere. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Describe it. Yeah. So, um, and you can, I did get to walk on top of it. They have kind of like this, uh, bridge that connects from the museum over to the top of this sphere. And it gives you views of Los Angeles. You can see the Hollywood Hills. You can see, uh, the observatory. I'm sure there's going to be 
galas, parties up there and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, film festival things. <laughs> but um so what's your favorite thing that you saw there? Is there one uh prop uh, or costume or something that like jumped out at you where you're just like, "Oh man." And even if it's like I know you're you're a giant Star Wars fan, so even if it's something as simple as like, "Oh, that C3PO was like used in the in the making and I've never seen that kind of thing up close and personal before." Although I guess you've been to Skywalker Ranch, you've probably yeah. seen stuff like that already, but I have seen stuff like that. See, that's hard. I, I I really was kind of blown away by that that animator's desk and learning the story behind it. Um there's just so much there's it oh there was one um so in the animation room it's i guess the reason why they call it uh creating imaginary worlds is it's not just animation once you start going into the next room it gets into computer generated imagery that's being created for live action films so you get Mm. like there's you know zoe saldana's uh facial ca- capture rig for avatar one and there's uh a bunch of the maquettes created for terminator 2 the t1000 but below that there was this uh t- a t-rex a dinosaur that's a an armature kind of like you would do with um a stop motion animated thing where mm-hmm. you can actually like you know move the legs around and like in different positions and stuff like that. Um, but it's something I've never seen before. I guess it was used during Jurassic park and it was a digital armature. So it has all these, like they, they look like computer plugs from like the 1980s, Ben, like they don't look like they're anything that would connect to like a modern day computer coming out of it. And I'm guessing they, they, or I'm not guessing it. They, it says that they actually used it to, bring some human element to the animation of the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. I remember hearing about this. I think when I covered the 25th anniversary of Jurassic Park, um, there was a a presentation by uh, like Colin Trevorrow was there hosting the event, um, the the director of Jurassic world. And like some of the guys, I want to say like Dean Cundy was there. who's was a a cinematographer of the movie. Um, And there were, there were some other folks, uh, Phil Tippett, I think is the one I'm thinking of who'd worked on the visual effects and and special effects in the movie. And I think they were telling that story that I I think, I feel like I've heard it before. Maybe it's on the bonus features of, of Jurassic park, but that like the um, that digital armature that you're talking about, I think that was like the very thing that was used to convince Steven Spielberg and Kathleen Kennedy, who, who produced that movie, that the technology had come far enough that they could actually rely on it in a major way for Jurassic Park. Like, you know, they were in the early stages of development still, like working out tests and stuff, trying to figure out, do we need to use stop motion in this movie, uh, you know, throughout this entire movie? Or can we actually push the, the envelope to such a degree where we can actually rely on the CG stuff, this brand, you know, this newfangled CG stuff? Um, and And... I think that armature is like the piece of technology that was used to, to help convince Spielberg. So that's a pretty yeah. cool uh, prop there. You know, another cool thing is it, it's very hard to like uh, give a spotlight to editing in a place like this. Because yeah. like, what, what, what do you, what do you put in to kind of like, you know, it's all the work is seen in the film. So how do you give a tribute to editors? And in one room they had a, Thelma Shoemaker, that's mm-hmm. a Martin Scorsese's editor, 
since <laughs> I mean, for I, I think most of his movies, right? Or all of his movies? I think movies? so. I mean, definitely since the 80s. I don't remember uh, yeah. if he worked with anybody, anybody else on his like earlier, earlier films. But well, we, uh, up until Casino, he she edited everything on film. So that's actually like reel to reel where you actually, you know, take the film stock and you cut it and then you fuse it together uh, with this chemical process. So like when you make a cut, you're, you know, it's, it's not like digital where yeah. you can just like undo. It's like some serious stuff. So they have her actual editing desk, the one that she she used um, in those early days. And it's huge. And it's just like, I don't know, it, it was cool to show Ketra that because she, she edits all the uh, videos for Ordinary Adventures and she, she's gotten so good in it. And it's just like, <laughs> we've, we've come so far because yeah. <laughs> you see this thing and it's like a monstrosity. Of, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Uh, and there's also like some other weird sections, like there's some sections dedicated to the Academy Awards. So there's like this circular area that has some Academy Awards throughout history. So there's like, one for the visual effects of Star Wars, but there's also some from like the early 20s when like the statue looked a little different and had a different base. And so you get to like look at those, but there's only so much you can like look at kind of the same gold statue. Do you know what yeah, I mean? It's not yeah, like yeah. Uh, there's a, a room that is surrounded by projections of people giving their Oscar acceptance speeches. And in that room, there is some stuff on display, including the the uh, what do you call that? The the letter that you open to award a film for mm -hmm. the one for Moonlight. So it's the one from that infamous, <laughs> yes, where La La Land got uh, incorrectly. Mm -hmm. uh, incorrectly won <laughs> the best picture, um, and it, it, right next to it is a letter from Warren Beatty to Barry congratulating. So oh, it, cool. was, it was cool. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. So any closing thoughts, Peter? I know you've already recommended that people go here, but any um, like <laughs> final things that you uh, maybe didn't get a chance to talk about yet? Um, oh, uh, two last things. Uh, there is an extra e e experience that you can pay for. It's $15. It's called the, I think like Academy experience or something like that. Like, uh, you basically get to experience what it's like to win an Academy Award. You step into this room on stage and there's like the projection of an audience and you actually get to pick up an Academy Award and they film it and they, they send it to your email. <laughs> did it's, you do it? I did it. It was not worth it. Uh, <laughs> it. It's weird because like you you do it and like then you get the thing and it doesn't even have an audio. So it's like just like this, you know, 10 seconds Oh, weird, weird uh with music i don't know it's not good at all i would not unless you really want to pick up an academy award which i'm not sure is i'm guessing it's an academy award that they just produced for this thing but it's like a real one yeah. it's heavy um i would not recommend it it's not worth that 15 dollars. there is a there's a cafe in there that's uh pretty good has some good food it's expensive there is a store uh the academy museum store it has a lot of cool movie books if if you are a film fanatic and you want like some good like uh tabletop um coffee table books about cinema there's a lot of stuff in there they have like a whole table of uh film uh, uh card games for film fanatics it has like cinephile and a, a bunch of those kind of oh, that's uh, awesome. games on there uh but i wanted to mention that they are like there's some like insane stuff for sale there like uh i'm not sure if you remember when lord and miller uh had their 
Lego movie. They had these oh, Lego yeah. Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the artist that created that for them, he's like a famous artist, is has produced some of those Lego Academy Awards and they're selling them there. How much would you think? This is like a life-size Lego Academy Award. How much would you think they would be charging for that bet? Uh, they would probably mark it up well beyond – well, certainly well beyond what I would pay. Um, I would say, I don't know, like $110. $500, man. $500 for yeah. a Lego Oscar? Yeah. And this isn't the one they had. Like, you know, this is just like a one that he made that you can, yeah. And you don't even no. get to build it. It's actually built for you. So it's not even like you're putting it together. Oh, no. Absolutely not. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but I would highly recommend it. Uh, the other thing I want to mention is there is no parking there. You got to park at either LACMA or the Peterson automotive across the street. So you might want to take an Uber there, save yourself 20, 25 bucks in parking fees. Wow. Yeah. So, okay. Well, yeah, I think this is a good, uh, a good jumping off point for anybody who's thinking about going. And, um, and it sounds like one of those things where, you know, I'm shocked that it it took them this long to get this going because LA is like, it is the movie capital of the world. And you would think that people who come to visit there from all over the world would want to experience a place like this. And now they finally can't. So uh, I feel like this is not just, um, you know, a guide for people who live in Los Angeles. This is, it sounds like a place that you should probably stop by if you are planning a trip to LA anytime soon. So 100%. And I just want to say that like, I haven't even mentioned everything that's in there. There's like a whole exhibit on zoetropes, like a huge room and just like the history of zoetropes and other things. Like, so go there, go there, go there. If you're in Hollywood, yeah. Yeah. What are you, what are you doing if you're, if you don't visit there once? (laughs) Awesome. Uh, so I'll link to my old article about sort of like a little bit of a written version of this. And then yes, definitely uh, stay tuned for, um, Peter and and Kitra's video coming or let's say early next week, just so we don't have to lock it down to Monday in case it's a little delayed or something. Um, yeah. So yeah, you can check that out, uh, at the, in the show notes of this episode, of course, visit slashfilm.com for all sorts of other movie and TV related coverage. Slashfilm daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you on Monday.